Hello, hello, and welcome to Hello, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com, and up there is the AI that keeps everybody in check. You want to say hello, oh great AI? Good evening, hometown citizens. Uh, tonight's episode is season two, episode 194 for July 13th, 2023. Your bra is hissing. Excuse me? <laughs> So, uh, well, I've done this in the past and then I've stopped and then I'll, I've done it again and then I kind of let it pass. But I'm going to do a rundown of the titles for the segment real quick. Um, we're going to have, uh, I'm just going to go through it really quick. Um, Not Sue Land, according to uh, an author. Taylor Swift tour catches attention. Enthralled by Entrouded. UK Actors Union Equity Readies Strike, Ice Cream for Indigenous Land, Dinosaur Park Bone Bed, Canadian West Coast Port Strike is over, TikTok Plastic Dock, Your Bra is Hissing, Breakfast Gets Cheaper, San Francisco Property Implosion, and Egyptian Art Edits. 12 articles. We're going to go through it really fast. There's a couple of soapboxing segments, though. That's why I'm going to speed up a little bit. Um, and I'm going to just remind everybody that although we uh, do try to put the article uh, links in the into the chat, the VOD, um, Twitch really doesn't do us a favor um, in the VOD sense because the VOD's disappear every 60 days the last one drops off so although i think it's great I, I love that it's a feature i basically do the work and then it gets kicked off after 60 days and so we port it over to youtube for long-term storage and that community which might be partly twitch community as well and then it goes over to um, podcast form as well and along the way there is show notes and those show notes contain the urls that we post into the chat so if i miss something i apologize but you can always go here which is hometown.com elections uh, and to get that url you can just type in exclamation point vote and that will pop up the election i might change it to exclamation point election i don't know um maybe both hell oh you know what we have the entire power of the internet i think i can make that happen um and uh if you want to do older elections because we do retain these um we switched from another provider and so unfortunately we don't have anything older than may 20th um basically i nixed all of those from an external source um and uh, brought them all in-house as much as I could. And we just pivoted. So anyway, that's all inside baseball. If it doesn't matter to you, then uh, obviously you don't have to vote. Um, but the elections are there so that uh, we know if you are interested in a particular article, that would be great to vote. Um, and this just went up. So feel free to go over there and vote to your heart's content. Hello, crazy cat lady. Welcome to the show. We're just getting started. 
Um, so these two uh, links here are nothing more than um, uh, el the election article kind of discussion. So let's get into the very first article for today. Are you ready to go, AI? I am. Okay. So the very first article um, is actually a post um, tweet article uh, response kind of a thing. Sorry for the dead air. I'm trying to explain um, what this is. But um, so later on, about halfway through the show, there's going to be the original post that triggered this response from somebody. But I wanted to talk about it immediately because this is the more current situation. Um, and so I'm going to get in front of this and we're going to talk about it because um, context is king in hometown. And uh, there's a lot of context that's lacking from, I think, both perspectives. <laughs> And we can't rely on cultural relativism of both of those without understanding just what it means. So not Siouxland, understanding the fallacies behind Ben and Jerry's stolen ground tweet. Uh, good evening, Tull. Welcome. Um, oh, really? There's something happening with the voting. Okay. I'll take a look at it. Sorry about that. Um, Okay, but I can't do it right now. Sorry. <laughs> um, so the um, the article here is over at the Hill. It's an author who actually has a book that's coming out on this topic. And I I thought that it was a real, really weird timing confluence kind of a thing. Um, and I don't know. It's kind of weird, right? That a book is suddenly available for a topic that's only born from a tweet that just happened to come into existence. Because at the end of this article, I had to look into this because it was submitted. Um, and while I get submissions periodically, this one was really involved because it, it really does speak to me because it's involving business technology and society the the three the trifecta of what i'm really focused on um both professionally and as the mayor of hometown i'm very interested in this like triad of topics um so what ended up happening was a, a tweet by ben and jerry's public relations division made headlines by tweeting that it's high time we recognize that the u.s exists on stolen indigenous land and commit to returning it um that was the original statement and then this author makes um an opinion piece and posts it on the hill so let's go straight over to the hill jeff finn paul is a, an opinion contributor who posted this uh, via thehill.com. So they put their caveat that it's the contributor's um, view and not the Hill's. Um, but it says on July 4th, Ben and Jerry's public relations division made this headline uh, or tweet and it's made headlines. And um, there's some discussion about it being the next like Bud Light situation where everybody starts 
blacklisting um, Ben and Jerry's and whatnot. And so the article talks about it in much deeper terms than I can give it enough time. Um, But let me summarize. They basically say that the indigenous land that would be given to these people, these people, right? Whatever you, (laughs) the way that they're describing it is that it's supposed to go to the Sioux. Um, except that the historical context of the Lakota Sioux in that region wasn't, it wasn't their native original Aboriginal land. They were actually driven West by other, uh, tribes and, um, other, for lack of a better term, Indians, right? Because culturally, um, the historical context of it is that's what the people were like reduced to the calling them Indians because I don't know humans while very creative lack the ability to understand the context that they weren't Indian when they were there and they're not Indian. Now they're just (laughs) Aboriginal people, original people of the land. Um, and, but we ended up calling them, you know, Indians. Anyway, the, the author talks about this historical context and I understand that context, right? But to sit there and say, well, you know, they weren't the original people and there were other people there and then they went over and they sided with, and this is all part of this article. They, the Sioux sided with the Confederates and had slaves and so on and so forth. Right. They talk about this context that, well, originally they weren't there anyway. So it's not theirs. The Ojibwe is the original people. Um, and we're pushing the Sioux further back. Uh, West. Okay. And eventually what happened was, um, a lawsuit formed, uh, around the Lakota Sioux being taken from, um, sorry, the Mount Rushmore being taken from that land being taken from the Lakota Sioux. Um, but the Supreme court gave $105 million for the claim to the black Hills but it's apparently never been touched and is supposedly worth somewhere around $2 billion. That's what this person, um, and, um, so what ended up at the end of this article, right? Um, this professor of economic history at Leiden university in the Netherlands, touts the book, not stolen the truth about European colonialism in the new world. Fascinating that it's on pre-order on Amazon, right? I mean, lots of people on the planet, but there is a book that's ready to print for (laughs) pre-order just in time for this person (laughs) to capitalize on it via. And so I was sitting there going, that's some hella good marketing right? Like somebody tweets something that is basically open mouth, insert foot, 
But here's the thing, we're gonna end up talking about this later on. So keep this article in mind, everybody. Um, because this isn't the end of the story. It's certainly not the beginning of the story. And both of them are on the extreme ends. One completely ignoring the fact that, yes, indeed, land had traded hands and not necessarily on the even footing of a meeting of the minds and the contractual basis of today's understanding of what a contract is and what the sale of a of land is and who actually owns it and and the provenance therein right so it's a little bit more complicated but we know that whatever took place in history since the europeans came to the the new world um we're talking about 250 years ago and a whole lot of evolutionary changes in economy in in world um i was gonna well in the power structure of the world the value of the land the kind of the balkanization of the regions and one thing holds true when a multitude when a plurality of people are all working together even if some of the the population is saying that they're not represented well enough or they're being marginalized and and really i'm i'm not trying to get into like the political aspects i'm talking about the sociological forces there's a lot of well i don't believe this or that didn't happen but understand something the north american land from canada all the way down to uh, mexico was in some way acquired either by force or economic efforts right something was traded something was given money or uh integration into the culture or uh, the state or protection or whatever it's a, a multitude of things that have transpired that has enabled north america to be the united states and because it is the united states it had a unified effort moving forward even if you discount or even if you believe in the concept of manifest destiny you know from sea to shining sea was the statement right that everybody was living by at the time right there was all kinds of motivation around it this was our land that kind of a thing right but that's cultural relativism not everybody believes in that anymore because we have a more global understanding that we're all humans and together we're better than balkanized fighting tribes and there is plenty of evidence of that around the world right so remember this article that summary and then that little tidbit there okay because we're gonna we're gonna get back into it um, but it's gonna take a little while i want you to cogitate on it and then we'll come back to it here in a little bit uh so i know the ai may have wanted to uh talk about that last article um but what i want even the ai to do is to cogitate think about what that article was saying 
Um, if you have to go over and look at it, then feel free. But we're going to keep on trucking through the news. Um, and uh, this one was really interesting because we've been talking about Taylor Swift and its economic impact on states. Even yesterday, I, I absolutely made the comment that it's a juggernaut of an ecosystem revolving or an economic system revolving around one person. Oh, and crazy cat lady said that, um, uh, it's not the first time Ben and Jerry has opened their mouth and then had to insert their foot. Um, no, you're right. They're political activists, um, with a, a corporate, I guess, ribbon going through their ice cream kind of a thing. Um, but we'll, we'll end up talking about that because their article, their original post and the uproar from it is what's later on in the stream. Um, but here we're talking about Taylor Swift's impact on the economy has caught the eye of the fed. <laughs> it's an economic juggernaut and it's hopping from state to state literally impacting the economics of the state because a governor uh, sits there and writes, oh, thank you, Taylor Swift, for coming to our state, the great state of Colorado, for instance, right? Well, that doesn't sound so crazy when you see how much revenue is coming into the states. Yeah, yeah. Um, the stunning success of Taylor Swift's Eras Tour, again, um, oh, by the way, we actually spun up a TikTok, um, and it's one of those articles is over there. So if you go to tiktok.com slash, um, well, you have to do the at symbol hometown. It'll pull up the four. We do uh, at least two articles each day from the previous night. Um, and the, <laughs> the Taylor Swift one is yesterday's one point somewhere around 1.8 billion i think is the total value of the um yes and but the we hype up different countries gdps remember in <laughs> right barbuda was one of them there were others that were in the same range but... right taylor swift is literally an island unto itself a 1.8 billion dollar isn't that amazing uh, i just think it's really fascinating but i'm also fascinated by the ecosystem uh, around um, market makers like Apple, when Apple changes the camera location by an eighth of an inch on their phone, everybody has to buy a brand new freaking case and it generates billions of dollars in that ecosystem as well. Um, and I can't say that others have that same impact in the singular sense, right? Like if, if one manufacturer changes their phone, all right, it's that model of phone and it changes a little bit, but there's only now there's a little bit more diaspora to the uh, Apple offerings, but it used to be one flagship phone. And if it pivoted something in any way, a thickness by a, a 16th of an inch, you'd have to buy a whole new case and it would just drive that economic engine again. Just spectacular. Disney's the same way. Um, anyway. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not hero worshiping. I'm fascinated by the processes that we as a society have made possible that a corporation like Apple is too big to fail and nobody would allow it to fail because they value the product so much. And that's how it is with Taylor Swift. If Taylor Swift were to drop a pair of shoes, 
they would be $10,000 shoes in the aftermarket because people love Taylor Swift so much. Um, Tull says the Taylor Swift effect makes me, uh, he wrote sick. Um, she's not that good of an artist. People only fawn over her because social media tells them to and generic people are stupid. <laughs> uh tell us how you really feel (laughs) yeah really um yeah that's dropping the bass on people there um yeah i don't listen to taylor swift's um music uh when i have i'm like okay it's kind of popish kind of you know generic entertainment kind of a thing it doesn't speak to me but apparently it speaks to uh well, $1.8 billion worth of people. Um, and I honestly, I don't know. I mean, if you, if you like the music, you like the music. Um, the, the era's tour, which consists of 131 concerts across 17 states and five continents. I didn't know that, um, has caught the attention of the federal reserve due to its noticeable impact on local economies. So Matthew Fox that happening for any other concert tour, but, um, I don't know of any concert that had this much attention at the same time, but I think that there have been others. Um, I'd have to go, uh, looking, but, uh, obviously not right now. So Matthew Fox over at markets insider, which is a subsection of businessinsider.com, put this article together. And uh, it says hotel revenues in the city surged to the highest level since the pandemic. Thanks to Swift, the Federal Reserve highlighted the the impact of Swift's three Philadelphia concerts in its most uh, recent beige book, which is basically um, consolidation of economic facts, figures, data, things that are impacting the economy. the stunning success of Taylor Swift's Eras tour has had a noticeable impact on the economy, um, local and a- across the board, um, because of so much money that's actually moving. Now, across the economy, I think is kind of eh, because really it's just moving money that's already in people's hands. It's not generating anything new. Um, it's just moving it right. Kind of like energy it doesn't get destroyed. It just changes form. And in this particular case, it's moving some money from a plurality of people, thousands or hundreds of thousands, according to the article, um, over to <laughs> Taylor Swift's ecosystem. Right. Or I don't know. See, she doesn't come across as having an ego. So my joke about ecosystem would be a little bit flat. Yeah. And crazy cat lady isn't into Taylor either. Um, so, but I get it. I mean, you know, when, when somebody becomes so popular in mainstream and the music isn't really, you know, into, you're not really into that particular music. I can see it. It's pretty easy to get over somebody like that. Um, so Swift performed in uh, three concerts at Lincoln Financial Field on May 12th, 13th, and 14th, and she returned to Pennsylvania in mid-June to perform in Pittsburgh. Despite the slowing recovery in tourism and the o- region overall, one contact uh, highlighted that May was the strongest month for hotel revenue in Philadelphia since the onset of the pandemic 
in large part due to an influx of guests for the Taylor Swift concerts um, in the city. So absolutely crushing it for those 17 states and five continents. But I didn't know that they went to five continents. Obviously, I don't pay attention. Um, sorry, I'm just reading something. Um, Tulsa says she may not have much of an outward ego, but to quote an artist that they enjoy listening to and nobody else has heard of, uh, she's like a carnival flash on the outside, inside, nothing but filth. <laughs> that's, that's some pretty rough verbiage there. Um, so the totality of Taylor Swift's U.S. tour, it says here in the article now, could generate $4.6 in total consumer spending larger than the GDP of 35 countries, according to Common Sense Institute. And that's all there really is to this article. Um, so let's uh, let's keep on chugging through the news. Taylor Swift, the economic force. Kind of like a, a new phase of physics, you know, water, solid gas and Taylor Swift's economic engine. I think we were ahead of our time with the comparison to the GDPs. Yep, I think so too. I, I, we actually made a whole new discussion there, a whole area of discussion. Tull says that I asked uh, how Tull feels about it, how they really feel about it. I mean, someone who will write numerous songs about their ex-boyfriends really says something about their character. She's not original and kind of person is just waiting to be immortalized with their breakup. Yeah, well, that's actually meme level. Um, I guess she leans into it because it speaks to a whole lot of uh, teen angst and maybe just angst in general. Uh, you know, I don't know the demographic, but um, we will, at least in the show for now, um, we'll abandon Taylor Swift unless that <laughs> that number increases 4.6. We had 1.8. It's pretty rough. Um, so this next article is over on the Warcrafters channel. The base building system in this fantasy co-op survival RPG looks pretty incredible. Um, I've actually talked about this once before. This is in, uh, enshrouded, um, which is basically, um, to me, it's Valheim, but kicked up a notch where everything in the build process is much more evolved. Um, and it isn't necessary. It's not built around uh, Viking anything. Um, the graphics look great. The world building looks great. The, the mechanisms in play, the play style. So I watched a video, um, before going through all of the articles that uh, were submitted and, um, I had already watched a video about Enshrouded. So when this was submitted, I said, yeah, th that would be awesome. So Enshrouded is this really cool game. Um, it's from the developer Keen Games, which is actually the people who created Portal Knights. And the two games cannot be further away from each other. Um, it's, it's amazing. Um, how separate they are from each other. Pardon me, I have to grab a cord that's choking me because it fell off my 
connector. Yeah, never mind. It's okay. We don't want to see that on camera. <laughs> well, they people like a train wreck, so maybe that's exactly what people. <laughs> no, okay, I won't do it. Anyway, um, so the the article is um, over at PC Gamer. So let's just head on over there. Christopher Livingston is the author. Enshrouded, they say, their deck statement says, Enshrouded is part Zelda, part Valheim, and has some seriously impressive base building tools. And in all honesty, I'm, I'm hoping that this game meets the hype that is just on the edge of um surreal because you can build structures like this you can dig through the ground just like in valheim everything is oh the only difference about this game rather than valheim is that valheim has a procedurally generated map with things placed in it um like force placed um, this is the entire map is generated already. So my map matches your map, matches everybody else's map, but it is co-op up to 16 people theoretically. But the level of complexity of this um, in terms of detail makes me think that this is not going to work out well um, because Valheim had a problem with digging too much, building too much. There was a, a, an upper limit. Um, and I don't know if they ever resolved that upper limit, uh, but there was only so much that you could build before it became a problem. Um, so can this be a contender for a forever game or no? Say that again. Can this be a contender for a forever game? Or no? <laughs> for my forever game? Yeah. Yeah. This definitely could be as long as they keep on augmenting it because I, I suspect the way that it's built, it has a fixed story. You go through the story. The objective is to remove the enshrouding, uh, which is a fog. And the fog, um, I don't know what the reason for the fog is. There's a backstory for it. But there's a fog over the entire world. And you have to reveal the land as you walk around. There's mobs and stuff like that. Um, and so everything is the same until you start building. And once you start building stuff, everything changes because you can dig a hole through a mountain, that kind of a thing. Um, you can build a castle like this. If you're looking at the podcast or you're listening to this via a podcast, um, you're basically um, able to do any structure. And, and it doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem kludgy and, and clunky it's it looked streamlined and fast and efficient it was great um Tull says that train wreck pretty much describes their day well i hope that your day is improving i hope that the show is helping improve your day um everything should be nice and chill it's post work we're all just hanging out having a good chat about the news and i i cannot wait um i will for sure um well let me just say if it meets the hype even to 80 percent of what hype is built up inside me i will have a community server for this um and then 16 people at a time can uh, play the game talk on it sorry i I have this cable that 
and keeps dropping off of its connector. Anyway, um, living the dream. This is how the sausage is made folks. Professional streamer. Um, anyway, the base building system, it says here in the article, the base building system as the most interested building can be done in complete free form, letting you shape and mold every last inch of your base, or you can use pre-made templates to build the walls, floors, structures, everything. Um, it, it just seems like it's going to be crazy fun to play this game. Um, and I've seen demos of it, but there is no public beta yet. Supposedly that's coming in a couple weeks. Um, at any rate, go and uh, put it in your wish list. It's enshrouded. Um, Tulsa's arc is kind of built me out. Uh, did you mean burned you out or so, um, arc and Conan is a close runner up just waiting to hear they fix the base building from the latest DLC and Conan. Yeah. Um, I dig Conan, um, arc. I don't like the interface, so I'm waiting for arc two and unfortunately arc two just got pushed back. Um, Oh yeah. Gotcha. I missed that pun. Sorry about that tall. So, um, there's videos in this link. So I would say go and check this link out. Okay. Now let me throw these, um, articles into chat. I'm really sorry. I got wrapped up in the soapboxing and then, um, I really should have been throwing these into the chat. Okay. Let's keep on going through the news. Um, and of course, AI, you can always jump in whenever you want. Um, the next article is over in the continuity report, UK actors, union equity readies guidance for SAG after a strike, um, UK actors, uh, actors union equity, um, is preparing advice for its members as SAG after gets ready to strike, uh, on Thursday. That's today. I haven't heard of the strike actually kicking off. Um, but, uh, I've been wrapped up with other things. Um, variety understands that it's happened. It has not. It has happened. Oh, it has. Okay. Uh, my understanding is that, um, SAG after actors that are involved in UK based shows have announced that they're ready to leave. All of them are ready to leave even the UK, um, shows. And so, um, equity is, um, trying to deal with that. So <laughs> this is going to be interesting because it's going to shut down so many shows. Um, variety understands that the union, which has 50,000 members has agreed a basic position uh, with the U S counterpart. These rules will apply to UK productions and the two groups are in the process of hammering out the specifics. Um, so equity and SAG after, from my understanding, they're in lockstep their shoulder to shoulder and they're going to stand by each other because if one diminishes the other then they're both diminished in the future uh, minori revandron is the author of this article over at variety.com um, and it says equity is asking members to check its website for the specific advice around 8 p.m uk time on thursday which coincides with the sag after press conference in los angeles at noon pacific time which will officially announce the actor strike um, that's pretty much where I'll leave it because, um, 
I don't know exactly all of the shows that are going to be impacted, big, small, in between. Um, but we know that why is SAG um, striking? Uh, basically, equity and um, pay and certain benefits. And, and I think there's also an AI can, component to it. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That's at the bottom here. Yeah. They want, um, they want to be able to stop and control their likeness and stop AI from taking over the industry because what's ending up happening is AI is being trained on the actor's work. It's every actor's work, um, because it's all owned by studios. And so they can basically create hybrids of their own actors in virtual space an AI actor, um, but still have the personality of the actor that everybody is enthralled by. Right? So if they create a high resolution and, um, I actually have uh, done research on this and, and, uh, started the uh, market analysis, but it was about 10 years ago on creating virtual actors. Um, this is a real threat to real actors. Um, sorry. Um, and uh, the, the way that this is going to work is a studio can basically just create a 3d model of an actor, but not exactly the actor. And if you watch black mirror, the very first episode, I think it is, um, that kind of highlights how far this can go. We're getting to the point where my, um, somewhat future looking dystopian esque, um, show called reality hacker is becoming a real concern. It, it's no longer just talking about AI and, and fake reality, virtual reality, augmented reality. It's actually now the resolution is so high and the way that voices are being generated. Um, I, I have my voice synthesizer uh, turned off right now, but I can change my voice into all kinds of things, including, uh, people like other actors. Um, so it, it's a real thing. Um, it says here at the very bottom, um, the AI just said, um, earlier, it's also seeking regulation on the use of artificial intelligence, which would require that actors be paid for any AI generated use of their likeness, as well as limits on self taped auditions and a host of other issues. Um, that those other issues are primarily that AI is training on the past works. Um, uh, so Toll says that the unequal pay is pretty high. I'm summarizing Toll. Um, and if they didn't demand such uh, high pay and special treatment, well, see, uh, therein lies the rub because studio CEOs are paying themselves $250 million. That's actually one that's it's demonstrably shown, but it's one of a plurality of them. I'm sure that we could put together a list of the executive suites and stockholders and stakeholders that are making a whole bunch of money. But these actors 
aren't getting everything that they deserve based on the fact that their work and honestly, um, they're not all making extraordinary. We hear about the extraordinary. We don't hear about the gap between the extremely popular and the not. So we hear about the really famous ones and they're making millions, but the rest of them are making 30,000 a year. Yet there's CEOs that are making hundreds of millions off of the plurality, not just the stars um and there's a ton of money so i i completely understand um now i i can say that maybe you know some of it is extraordinary um and might be asking for too much but you shoot for the moon and <laughs> you don't get if you don't ask um because they're not going to give without demanding it so um, I thought one of the most interesting stats in here was that the writers and actors haven't been on strike in, since 1960 at the same time. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. I missed that. Um, and that's right there, but yeah. So the writers are, are striking right now. Um, and that's where that number is born from the fact that there's a CEO out there, um, that is making, $250 million while other actors are only making like 16,000, not actors, uh, they're writers. Um, but you wouldn't have the, you know, it's basically sharing the wealth. It's that there's a lot of wealth that's concentrated into what I would call a more nepotistic kind of buddy, buddy thing, because the directors found an equitable agreement because they have a director's union, smaller click. They had no problem with the bargaining power because you can't get a movie done without the directors, but you also can't get any movie done or show done or anything done without the writers and the actors. So why isn't more wealth shared amongst all of them? Um, and really, I mean, we, uh, again, we only know about the famous ones. We don't hear about the ones that are working, you know, 40 hours a week and then have to go and work a McDonald's job on top of it because they're not making enough money um, or, you know, working at Walmart or whatever. I mean, they have a sub job, another gig, a side, a side gig. Um, yeah, I get it, Tull. Uh, again, if you feel like you are a CEO or a leader of a company of some kind, you have the right to pay yourself what you want. That newbie actor may only be making 30 K a year while the CEO is making millions off them, but the CEO founded a company and built it from the ground up. Yeah. That's not how these are. These aren't, these are the boards that are keeping a, a CEO that's been hired. And, um, it's never just that, um, there's a lot more elements to it. Um, unfortunately it's, very complex um and and not it doesn't just come down to the fact that they founded the company but even it so <laughs> because there's so many moving parts that wealth is being concentrated into a select few people from the plurality and there isn't anybody that can sit there and just say well i'm gonna go and do something else it's not like that um 
most people can't just get up and go and do something else. They've trained their entire life to reach a certain point and do a certain thing. And somebody else is dictating that they're only going to make 30 grand, even though their work is translating into millions. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's only so many Chris Pratt's and Harrison Ford's, right? Um, but it's uh, that's who that's we hear timely. about. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, that's what we hear about, though, and, and not all of the rest of the wealth that's being it. They're famous. They're high in everybody's minds. They're making a lot of money. Um, and, but we'll revisit this because it's an ongoing thing. So we'll come back to it. Um, so I wanted to get to this. Um, and so we are somewhere around the halfway mark. Um, let me make sure that I've got all of the articles um, in the chat. There you go. Yeah, I haven't seen, uh, Satol says, um, the interview Jack Carr does with Chris Pratt on his danger clothes podcast is phenomenal. I'll have to take a look at it or a listen. Um, okay. So this is the article that, the, that sparked the first article. Um, and so the article is over in the mobile channel It's titled the next bud light. Uh, ben and Jerry's sparks controversy with call to return stolen indigenous land. <laughs> um, quite an inflammatory statement, right? And it was just dropped out there like that, right? Um, the United States was founded and this is the tweet. The United States was founded on stolen indigenous land. The 4th of July, uh, this 4th of July, let's commit to returning it. Uh, the company tweeted, see, and the, the problem here is the company tweeted, you know, just go use your personal site. Don't leverage the entirety of the company because there's a plurality of people in the company. And unless all of them, every last one of them signs a document saying that they buy into it. That's why I hate the idea of Citizens United. Um, so in a direct challenge to national symbols, Ben and Jerry singled out Mount Rushmore stating what is the meaning of independence day for those whose land this country stole those who were murdered and forced. And uh, uh, my aggregator truncates the, the statement. So let's go over to the stockdork.com, which is a new entrant into our aggregation. Um, Malik Greystone is the author of this. And um, the, this statement just kind of <laughs> um, the cultural relativism um, is lost entirely on this, right? Um, so uh, before I get into it, uh, Tull says, um, I would venture to say if anyone out there is wanting to know how to do a podcast interview, Danger Close is about as good as it gets. Jack is always super prepared and has a plan on how to guide the interview. It's phenomenal. Um, cool. Um, thanks Toll. I will. Well, I just told whoever listens to the podcast, go check it out. <laughs> so go check it out. Um, and I will too. Um, so this, this tweet by Ben and Jerry's 
corporate account, um, I, I understand that it's theirs. <laughs> they are Ben and Jerry's is Ben and Jerry's, right? And so they can put out whatever message they want. Um, but to say the United States was founded on stolen indigenous land, the 4th of July, let's commit to returning it, um, is an odd mixture of ignoring all 250 years of the United States and the subtle nuance of agreements, treaties, outright purchases, um, etc. And then the time, this is temporal relativism as well. You cannot in any way, shape or form pivot back 250 years of economic and social revolution um, that the country has performed because the people who came here originally started to move west from a little, little tiny colony west. Why? Because the value of the land, its resources, etc., were not taken advantage of and may not have been taken advantage of then to now by the indigenous people. And there are plenty of locations on the planet that reflect as much. Now you can say, well, there's been a whole lot of colonialism in all of these other regions, but again, we don't know what we don't know because we don't have a time machine. It isn't Marvel. We can't pretend to know that the exact same thing that happened in the United States would have happened if, you know, Europeans didn't take the slow boat over. Um, and, uh, so until says there's a quote, um, this is a quote, uh, and I didn't read this yet. So if this quote is in here, the indigenous people didn't understand what the European conquerors were doing and didn't realize they were stealing their land. Oh, air quotes. Okay. So the, the counter argument would be that, right? But again, the modern society can't possibly pay a price for what has happened in the past, but what we can do is not allow it to move forward, not happen again, um, and embrace the diaspora, uh, embrace the plurality, embrace the, the, the melting pot that is supposed to be America. But that's not what has happened historically, right? So uh, during World War, Japanese were put in internment camps, Native Americans, and it, again, you have to refer to them as indigenous peoples or original peoples because they're not Native Americans. They weren't Americans. Um, and, uh, and over time, from the East to the West Coast, following the mantra of from sea to shining sea the manifest destiny was the what nom de guerre right i like to joke about using that phrase but that really was like a battle cry that everybody at the time believed that this land was meant for dot 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 um tulsa's that's like saying that 
uh, I am responsible for re uh, paying reparations for what my ancestors did long before I existed because they were following a cultural norm of the day. The quotes are for context focus, right? Yeah. And that's how I feel about it too. Um, that's and, but there are some things, right. That society should do, which is make sure that everybody has equity and inclusion and isn't set out, um, marginalized simply because of their race. Um, it, it should all be well, about knowledge. Marginalized, period. <laughs> well, knowledge, skills, and abilities is a foundation for uh, some people to say that it would be marginalizing someone. Well, no, not really, because you have the ability to develop the knowledge, skills, and abilities, and it doesn't really matter who or, or where you're from or whatever. The, the problem really starts to come into existence when somebody says, like Ben and Jerry's is saying, we need to give everything back. Well, it would have been fine if we would have given everything back 15 minutes after the very first taking. Exactly. But how do we unwind it? Correct. It's impossible. It doesn't mean it should have happened, but it's very hard to reset everything. Right. Um, impossible. And, and so even in this article and in the, a previous article, like I said, ponder that original article, there was money given for Mount Rushmore into a fund for the Lakota Sioux. That's probably worth $2 billion. According to that author, I don't know what it's worth, which means that everybody that's in the Lakota Sioux tribe that has declared that they're Lakota Sioux should get about $20,000. Well, they haven't apparently touched that money because they want the land, but that's just not going to happen. It can't happen. Um, so Toll says, so does that mean that, um, B and J's expects the indigenous peoples to pay back what was used to purchase these lands with interest and inflation applied. And <laughs> that would be an interesting counter argument. <laughs> um, you know, Hey, well, look, we purchased it with this and it was valued at that rate at that time. So now converting for the modernity of today's economic systems, I think we're probably okay with just saying, here's an apartment in New York. Um, the rent will be $4,500, that kind of a thing. Um, I'm being facetious, but the reality is you cannot go back and change the past history. You know, you cannot fix this other than by saying we won't let it happen again. But that is also kind of marginalizing the idea that, well, you have everything. So dot, dot, dot. Well, it wouldn't be worth what it's worth now if not for the events that have transpired since whatever has transpired because there's a lot of people that are saying well you know this state this region this area that over there it was never agreed upon it wasn't really purchased etc and i even say there couldn't have been a real meeting of the minds um but to that end, I also say we cannot just give back 
everything that has transpired over its entire existence as a country. But one thing I can guarantee, I can assure everybody of, we would not be where we are today if not for the actions that have taken place. Right. And arguably, because you can look around the world, other places didn't economically and socially reach the same point of the United States in such short time as the United States did. Uh, Tull says, sure, we can, we can ban the books that are actual firsthand accounts and teach the 1619 project as the only truth and rewrite the purchase of the land as uh, the theft of the land. And we can absolutely rewrite this history. <laughs> um, so Toll is describing a scorched earth policy, which is probably the only way that I think that you could get away with doing this. You literally have to wipe everybody with a, a counter perspective from the planet. Um, and that's messy and, and, uh, expensive and all kinds of other things. Um, but that really is the only way that you I can. I don't think those are the key objections. <laughs> right. Um, but that's the only way that you can get true unity. What you, what society requires is that we all are part of the same social contract. We discuss things. We find a meeting of the minds. We have gives and takes. Uh, but what we don't do is have uh, a fascist dictator that's telling us this is how it is. Um, so in, in essence, we have, I understand Tull, um, you're being sarcastic. Um, but the, the only way that you're going to get, you know, consensus, um, at least in a country that accepts uh, conversation in the political system um, the only way you're going to get consensus in something like that is to absolutely decimate the other side whatever the other side is and i just recently heard in a where was it there was some show where i said and I, I was surprised that they said the same thing that i said which is one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter it just depends on which side of the fence you're on um, and that's kind of what this is, right? Like, sure. What has transpired since the creation of the United States and before, right? Cause there was a whole lot of stuff that transpired before the United States was formed. Um, but once we became one country and there were pockets of people that were put into these encampments and then subsequently later on internment camps. Um, and we gave it a name and all of that, like none of this should have happened. Um, you would think that we would have accepted the people, but then we have, you know, foreign countries that are, um, well, let's just say not friendly to the United States. Um, and that's uh, a lot founded on the fact that we became global police for an extended period of time. Um, but this is a, a sincerely long form discussion. Um, there's no way that 
the totality of the historical, I guess you can call it taking of land uh, over X period of years with all of the associated agreements and, and uh, uh, treaties and et cetera, that transpired over those years is ever going to be quote unquote given back um, to the native people. Because just like today, unless everybody signs on the dotted line saying that, yeah, sure, go ahead and give it back. Nobody should have the right to give it back. Just like even back then, if there was a meeting of the minds and the totality of the people said, yeah, sure, we'll give you the land for X amount of thing, whatever the thing might be, then it could be sold. But I, I sincerely doubt that any of that actually transpired there. I don't think that there was a true meeting of the minds, but I also am a realist and very pragmatic about these things. 250 years have gone by. The land isn't going back to the Aboriginal people because it has traded hands even within the tribal lands. So everything was in flux until the creation of a country state. Um, and we stopped being tribal infighters physically and we became social tribal infighters within groups and out groups and sometimes we have conflict and fists fly but i would hope that we're not running around killing each other now because of somebody wanting you know that pool of fish you know i i, I would think that we move past it but it seems like we're moving back towards it um, yeah, I don't know Toll, I mean, both of those organizations actually see, uh, cause Toll says, I'd love to see some of these BLM and Antifa followers go to the Congo and fight the, uh, to free the modern day slaves. There's your social injustice. Um, I agree. Um, however, BLM and what's being called Antifa I don't know, man, there's, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that is. Um, because being anti-fascist is essentially what <laughs> people have fought against, right? Being anti-fascist is the embodiment of fighting fascism. I don't really think that and Antifa as a, this nebulous cloud like group of people um, are the same as the ones that went and fought for freedom, right? Um, on foreign shores. And it definitely hasn't come to our shores, um, but BLM, there is institutional racism and they have a, absolutely a foundation that it's still systemic. Um, I've been behind people who uh, got pulled over because the person profiled them because I was the one that was speeding, but they pulled over the person in front of me. Um, I was, uh, <laughs> so, and that's just anecdotal. So I, I'm just saying that this, that actually happens. This Antifa thing though, um, I would support anybody that would fight fascism. So, um, 
recognized by the DOD and DIA as a domestic terrorist group, Antifa. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a real organization, though. I think it's just people, a scattered band of people that identify as anti-fascist. Um, but they, they, there is no unified message there, other than they're against uh, fascism, which has been rearing its head. I mean, and we'll see how it ultimately uh, plays out. Um, and at the end of the day, Ben and Jerry's is sitting there using their platform, their millions, their corporation as a messenger to fight for a, what even this message here says, a controversial issue. Uh, it says here the company previously supported causes such as Black Lives Matters movement and LGBTQ uh, plus rights, um, both of which, you know, I, <laughs> It's individuals that, how do I put this? Individuals are an issue. Large groups are a bigger issue, but you deal with the issue. You, you don't go, well, this entire group is bad because Black Lives Matters as an organization isn't bad because they are fighting it's a social platform they they are fighting for equity and inclusion um for black lives and trying to stop the systemic uh i guess abuse that takes place because it definitely takes place i mean the stats don't lie about it um and lgbtq plus is basically is a very young organizational structure and uh, it has actually quite a few more uh, letters in this. Um, and in both of these cases, nobody's hurting anybody. You know, they're just living their lives. And a lot of people should just let them li live their lives. They're not coming for children. They're not coming to steal your car. It's individuals that might be not an entire group of people. Um, and uh, it, it's usually what happens is everything is an individual is a bad actor and then a large group of people is fine. And then a, um, what is the French term for it? An agent, agent provocateur. provocateur. There you go. An agent provocateur incites riot because they say or do something that causes somebody to act out because they've hit their threshold of frustration and then it turns into violent or criminal or whatever. And this happens everywhere. And we've seen it time and time again. It's part of the social force that exists in society. Individuals do stupid things. Then there's a whole mass of people that everything is fine. Everything is cool. And then somebody does something that triggers the mass of people. And it's a subset even within the mass. And when somebody tries to shut that down, it all becomes infighting and, and it becomes chaotic. And then certain people are singled out again, um, usually from law enforcement. They're the agent provocateur and they're the problem. And this is the problem. So. Um, uh, so let's see. 
Toll says that BLM isn't really looking for equity, but they're looking for favoritism and prejudices against whites and specifically white cops. But anyway, uh, there might be people within it, um, but I don't see it that way. Um, BLM canceled Terry Crews because he said that we need to sit down and have a discussion and recourse rather than rioting and destroying their own communities. Um, yeah, um, I see cancellation as basically the social structure responding to what people are saying. And because we have platforms like this and, um, uh, of, a means of getting a broad message out all at once. It lacks context. Um, and so some people lash out. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, there it's now all referred to as, um, canceling when normally what happens is Terry Crews wouldn't have had the massive platform to say something. Um, but nowadays we have the internet. And so when the entire nation claps back, that's referred to as being canceled. But in reality, if you were to say something on your street that somebody didn't agree with, then the people on your street would say something to you, you know, and, and maybe it wouldn't be as bad as this, but Terry Crews, um, <laughs> for whatever reason, went from hero to zero with a lot of people, but there's still the plurality of people still like Terry Crews. Uh, I think that uh, it was just a loud vocal few. Um, and it's a it's a shame that that's happened. But yeah, I think it's a loud vocal few. Um, but that seems to be, you know, the flavor of the day is being loud and and um virulent and borderline violent is what gets you attention and unfortunately um there's a, a group of people it may not be a lot but they're definitely um they're definitely um what do you want to call it they're a minority in the population but they're loud because everybody likes to watch a train wreck and i'm sorry to hear that crazy cat lady um been there and uh, i'm really sorry that you're going through that um one of their cats is they're losing one of their cats today i'm so sorry that's very sad i'm interpreting it as what i think it is but um very unfortunate i'm sorry um yeah <laughs> the ai is sad now too um okay let's um we'll revisit this um because i think it's actually very important um Tull says that they're very frustrated because they're at least self-aware enough to know that they grew up in a very sheltered community and because they're not so close to the subject they look at it objectively rather than subjectively yes when compared to the percentage of the population, there is a grossly large percentage of police involved shooting with blacks, but that is also a disproportionately large number um, of that same community committing violent crimes. Um, and that's largely based around the fact that there is lack of opportunity um, and inclusion and economically positive 
um, pathways to better yourself. So you have to, a large number of people, it's usually very dense populations. It's usually very few economic, um, endeavors. And, um, it's, it's quite, um, a more complex mechanism than just race. Um, but, uh, that community, um, African-Americans basically, uh, continue to suffer their historical, um, disposition. <laughs> I, I, that's the only word that I could come up with. They, they ended up, um, where we are because of the historical record which is a failure of the governing peoples, not the police organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of conditioning too. There's, uh, the, the mechanism, um, is that everybody is treated as hostile and that's not how it should be. And that's why there's training that takes place to try and de-escalate situations. And it's been acknowledged by police forces in many larger areas, but smaller communities still haven't really gotten the message. Um, but I but we'll think keep we on. also see bad actors in all of these areas, yeah. and then they they reflect on the larger community, even yeah. though that may not be reflective of the larger community's thoughts or actions. So, one last thing, um, and we'll continue on to the rest of the articles. But uh, one last thing, the phrase is, and this is the, everybody stops halfway through the phrase: "One bad apple." Oh, it's just one bad apple. No, that's not the whole phrase. And that context really does mean something in society. Just like Antifa, just like BLM, police, military, everywhere. Every single cluster of people have it. Okay. And this is the phrase, the whole phrase. Everybody needs to just chant that whole phrase. When they hear somebody say just the beginning, say the whole phrase. One bad apple spoils the bunch. So the bunch really does need to take care of that one bad apple, right? Not violent. Talk to them, talk them off the ledge, cool their heads, whatever it is, but teach them a, a coping mechanism where they're not the bad apple because the bad apple spoils the bunch. And that's what's happening in these groups because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it's one bad apple corrupting the bunch. Uh, thanks for hanging out, Toll. Really do appreciate it. Have a good night. Take care of crazy cat lady. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, we're going to keep on trucking through the news. The next article is over on the mobile channel. Prehistoric bone bed unveiled in Maryland's dinosaur park. When Argentinian geologist Federico Alvarez Hazer, or Hazar, Hazar, sorry, Hazar, um, immigrated to Baltimore one year ago to live with his wife, he imagined that his days working on fossil dig sites close to home as he had in uh, South America's Patagonia region, were over. Well, he was abundantly wrong. Um, 
he was shocked to discover Dinosaur Park, a 3.63 acre tract of land nestled behind a business park in Laurel, Maryland that had been uh, preserved following the discovery of several fossils uh, more than 100 million years old. And he was even more surprised when he quickly found himself involved in a noteworthy discovery at the park unveiled at a news conference Wednesday morning. It was Alvarez Hazer's uh, hammer that struck a dinosaur's three foot long shin bone buried in the dirt during an Earth Day dig event while he was helping to excavate a dinosaur vertebrae just inches away. <laughs> so <laughs> he says, oh shit, a bone. <laughs> they, I mean, is that what they you'd covered that up. from like a paleontologist or whatever? Yeah, really, that's funny. I was working with my hammer and I broke a part of the tibia bone and I said, oh shit, a bone. Alvarez uh, Hazer told the Baltimore Sun, we start to dig and it was long, long, long. Um, so that's pretty neat. And uh, the article does go into greater detail, but I'm going to link it uh, through hometown and we're going to keep on hustling through the news. Um, this is always a, a fun thing to read. This was actually one of my first loves. I wanted to go on. Uh, archaeological digs and whatnot and I don't think that I would have a problem with uh, digging up a dinosaur bone but I was told that I would probably uh, end up digging up humans at some point <clears throat> and uh, for whatever reason that just kind of uh, pushed me in a different direction <coughs> mainly tech and business and sociology I can't imagine why that would send you in another direction <laughs> Well, I mean, they're old ancient bones. It's not like they're going to be popping up and saying, hey, I was down there for a long time. All right, let's keep on hustling. Uh, if anybody is in chat and wants to continue to talk about a particular topic, feel free to throw it in chat and let us know. Um, we uh, tend to you know, kind of give a little bit of context, anecdotal information, um, but we don't go too deep into any one topic at one time, um, like just now. Uh, the next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Canadian West Coast port strike is over, but it will take weeks for supply chain to recover. Um, we knew that this was coming. We knew that it was going to end at some point. How fast it ended, I had no idea. None. Zero. Because <laughs> we watched this steam right into port. And then it just seemed to turn around and head right back out. Um, but yeah, I thought this might be months. Yeah. Yeah. The West coast port strike is over with ILWU Canada and port owners reaching a deal brokered by Canada's government, but supply chain delays will last weeks. This article is over in the CNBC. Uh, Lori Ann LaRocco is the author of this article, uh, and it says the current West Coast port strike has significant implications for both the Canadian U.S. economy and potential supply chain congestion from ocean cargo to inbound rails and sectors from chemicals to oil, lumber and construction materials it goes far beyond that. That's fascinating that that's what they kind of mentioned. But I mean, there's foodstuffs and clothing and. And probably um, all, cars and yeah. just all kinds of infrastructure stuff. And uh, it's quite fascinating that that's what they focused on. But um, Canada's labor minister and uh, transport minister announced on tw 
Twitter, the end to the 13 day labor strike at the West Coast ports in Canada. This is not what's going on on the West Coast of the United States, however, which is not right now a declared strike. It's a slowdown. No. And I kind of wonder if that impacted this. Like, I'm wondering if the people negotiating this were looking and going, we're about to have two of these strikes. And even though they're different organizations, they're going to put a huge crimp in global trade. Well, I can imagine Canada might be working with um, U.S. organizations to not be financially impacted by all of the business that's going to be going up into Canada. Um, but this correction, the supply correction is going to be because what's going to end up happening is they're going to tariff the hell out of the Canadian goods that are going to get brought down into the United States. As far as I can interpret this, maybe I'm wrong, but I can see any supplies that go into a Canadian port so that they can be brought across the border driving the cost up and delays because you can only drive one truck on one lane so fast through one port or one border check uh, crossing terminal you know it doesn't just oh well the gate's up everybody go everybody gets checked out it all gets processed and now you have two of them it's not just happening at the port but it's happening at the 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 booth, the toll booth on the way through into the United States. Um, it says while the production ramp down at the ports was seen immediately, the congestion as a result of the 13 day strike could have long lasting um, effect on the ports. The ramping back up takes weeks before efficiencies will be regained by combing the wait time of vessels getting into port and unloaded and containers loaded onto rails combined with delays can extend from a month to at least two months for a U.S. arrival. So there we go. Um, and that's on rail, just you know, trucks and other delivery. I don't know. I, I think that uh, we're looking at we're looking at three months, three, four months um, before we're back in. Uh, and that's Canadian. <laughs> we're not talking about the U.S. port because there's still delays at the U.S. ports. So the port strike has already damaged the U.S. supply chain. In data released Wednesday, the American Association of Railroads reported year-over-year -year intermodal Canadian rail was down almost 50% last week as a result of the strike. And the top sectors impacted included forest products such as lumber and wood. Not quite the same. Oil and petroleum products, non-metallic minerals such as crushed stone, sandstone, um, clay and glass products and chemicals and products that go into paints, coatings, etc., um yeah this is gonna be a hot mess just in time for eggs to be cheaper i know i thought they were lowering <laughs> they are we'll end up talking about it let's go so the next article is over in the mobile channel tiktok plastic surgeon who live stream procedures loses license this is kind of the no shit news at 10 30. catherine roxanne Graw, known as tiktok on TikTok as Dr. Roxy is banned from practicing in Ohio after the medical board said she harmed patients while live streaming. The article is over at the Washington Post. Timothy Bella is the author. Huh. All right. Known to our online followers as, uh, and patients as Dr. Roxy appears before Ohio medical board hearing Wednesday. 
Um, I, I don't know. I guess HIPAA doesn't really matter. Right? Like, she can stream surgeries? I don't know how she could. Maybe she got the patient's consent. Um, authorities determined that she injured patients while live streaming their procedures to hundreds of thousands of viewers. The State Medical Board of Ohio on Wednesday permanently revoked the medical license of Catherine Roxanne Graw and fined her $4,500 based on her failure to meet standard of care. The board found that while Graw was performing surgery, she live streamed parts of her patients' procedures on TikTok, spoke into a camera, and answered viewer questions from some of her more than 825,000 followers. Okay, well, that's okay, where wait dipshit. Wait a second. People are not able to multitask. <laughs> hey, wait. She didn't get the message. Yeah, only computers can multitask. At least three patients reported having severe complications, infections, a perforated intestine, and a loss of brain function. Jeez. And needing medical care after Gra operated on them at Roxy Plastic Surgery, her practice in Powell, Ohio, according to the board. Oh my God. Promising, uh, she pleaded that they not or she pleaded that they not take her license and said that I'll never live stream a surgery again. Um, but apparently that didn't quite work out. The vice president of the medical board said Wednesday, I strongly recommend that they, that there never be a Dr. Roxy or patient one, two, or three and protect the people of the state of Ohio from this reckless physician. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, she Look maintained. How many she live streamed. Yeah, she live streamed to anywhere between 100 and 500,000 TikTok users per video, and said that it did not affect the procedures. Rose facing lawsuits from the three patients who needed care after performed surgery on them. Also accused the medical board of bullying her during her suspension and this week's hearing. <laughs> And I misread that. I thought that meant she had live streamed that many times, but I guess that's how many views she had. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know how many people would have been watching her directly, but they said tens of thousands, I think. Um, a hundred thousand. Hundreds of thousands. Thousand, I think. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there are that many people that would sit there and watch a plastic surgery. I, I'm sure there are. I, I can guarantee you there are. I mean, there's billions of people on the planet for crying out loud. But who wants to watch a surgery take place? Some Not people a lot are really. People, I wouldn't think. Some people are really fascinated. Her schedule was booked with surgeries over the next two years, she said. A lineup that included about 80 to 100 breast augmentations a month and thousands of Brazilian butt lifts annually. Oh my God. The breast augmentation at Roxy Plastic Surgery costs $6,600, while surgeries for a mommy makeover are usually a combination of a bunch of stuff. Can range from fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. I want to get a mommy makeover. <laughs> the dead air is just hilarious. <laughs> that seems like that relates to a topic that was in another article that I'm not going to bring up. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're actually going to talk about. Um, I don't think that this next article is this type of breast augmentation, but let's take a look at it. Oh. This one was in Gnome Town <laughs> Daily. 
A woman caught trying to smuggle five live snakes in her bra. That's why this one is titled, um, excuse me, ma'am, your bra is hissing. I wouldn't even touch them. Never mind, hide them in my bra, one user wrote, while another added, I won't even look at snakes on my phone. This is an article that's over at uh, Newsweek, and Pandora Dewan is the author. Okay, wait, wait, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Is this article actually, is this video actually that? No. Snakes on a plane. Officer sees. Oh, okay, okay, okay. God, can you imagine having those? Um, (laughs) no. (laughs) Those are like quadruple F cup right there, man. Wow. Anyway, hidden in the woman's bra were five pet corn snakes wrapped in stockings against her chest. The incident took place at Fushin, I guess, or Fudian, a port in the city of Shenzhen. Shenzhen, sorry. Shenzhen. That's an easy one because there's a lot of uh, technology there. In late June, news of the smuggling was shared by China Customs um, to its WeChat account on July 8th. Officials initially stopped the woman due to her weird body shape and submitted her to a full body inspection, according to Hong Kong-based English-language newspaper, the South China Morning Post. Oh, wow. (laughs) There's like a snake right there in that little... They have a picture where it's blurred out her cleavage, but... You can actually see where, like, these nylons are holding what amounts to corn snakes. Apparently five of them. Uh, are you assuming the shape of my boobs? Excuse me, ma'am. Um, is that a corn snake in your bra? <laughs> That's amazing. That's hysterical. <laughs> Oh, wow. I get, uh, well, I only see four of them. It says photo of five corn snakes wrapped in stockings. There's a picture of them. They were That's between 20. The fifth was in the other picture. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that other one was. Um, hello, Z. Don't boo me. Come on. That was an awesome joke. Man, my biting humor. Ah, can you imagine having a snake between 24 and 72 inches long wrapped around your boobs? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, all hiss, no bite. This is probably the craziest smuggling thing we've seen. We've seen a lot of weird smuggling incidents. Well, apparently it's happened in the past, so I don't know. People are slithering by. That one's a horrible joke. I'm going to keep going. Uh, The next article is over in Hometown Daily as well, over at hometown.com. Go check it out. New features, new functions. It's always awesome. Always some news. All the news, none of the noise. I mean, I'm just throwing all of it out there. Your breakfast just got a lot cheaper with prices of eggs and bacon plunging 27% amid cooling U.S. inflation. Yeah, we'll see. I haven't looked at the producer price index or the uh, consumer price index since I think the report was supposed to come out yesterday. Uh, breakfast just got way cheaper for Americans thanks to tumbling eggs and bacon prices. So they might be hinting that um, 
the uh, inflation issue. They've cracked the inflation issue. Um, the cost of a dozen eggs and a pound of bacon has plunged 27% to $8.44 from a, a, a peak hit in January, but they didn't break it out in this little snippet. So if eggs are still over $4.50, I still think that it's too much. But let's go take a look. Markets Insider is where that's sourced from, and it, they're a little subsection of businessinsider.com. Um, let's scroll down and see. So, oh, there it is, right? Meanwhile, the average price of a dozen eggs has fallen to $2.22, marking a 54% plunge from a peak of $4.82 reached in January. The cost for the same egg, uh, the same had surged 60% in 2022. Um, I was at a farmer's market and their dozen eggs was $4.50. Yeah, I left Very those. Very high, particularly for direct from the source. Yeah, and they're not like massive eggs either. I mean, they were little right. tiny eggs. It's kind of like, you know, those uh, chocolate eggs, the, the, they used to be like Cadbury. that big. Yeah, Cadbury eggs, and now they're like that big and cost more and they're tiny, right? That's kind of how this felt when I was looking at it. I'm like, and yeah, I'm not buying those. And I normally buy from the farmer's market, but I, under my breath, I mumbled, you're out of your freaking mind. The Federal Reserve interest rate increases, which boosted benchmark borrowing cost by 500 basis points since early 2022, has helped bring down prices of some food items. But still, the people that are paying the most are the people that can't afford to pay the most, which are the people that have not gotten raises and not been able to benefit from the pandemic. So this is good. But y'all still can't get a damn house and you're paying a, a, a lease for an apartment that's still going up because the people know that they can get more money from you because you can't buy a house it's complex i'm waiting for z to say eat the rich <laughs> the um i mean the prices went up so high it's definitely good that they're going in this direction but i know they haven't hit where they were before yeah like they still need to keep going lower yeah and you know rightly so i was told and and i had already read this anyway um that uh, an outbreak of bird flu caused basically a, a massive culling and um nosy you know you can't correct anything when you say it in chat this is just like dunk star's place eat the rish that's right r-i-s-h <laughs> it's immortalized z thank you thank you so much i needed that actually we had a really involved uh chat earlier um and uh it was an emotional roller coaster for everybody involved but it was um very refreshing to have a, a point counterpoint perspective about things um, and that's what I'm here for, to have a really good time with a conversation about stuff that's important. Um, so let's keep on hustling. We only have two more articles. Um, I've been actually watching videos about this taking place as we speak. Um, it's in the hometown daily, uh, channel over on hometown, uh, remote remote work could wipe out 800 billion dollars from building or from office buildings value 
by 2030, with San Francisco facing a dire outlook, according to McKinsey. McKinsey surveyed 13,000 office workers around the world for a model to predict uh, real estate demand. It estimated that $800 billion worth of real estate value will be wiped out from nine major cities, and San Francisco faces a dire outlook with a potential 38% fall in demand in a severe scenario. That severe scenario is basically remote work. Um, so if everybody works from home, which I am a massive proponent of, because if I don't need to travel for two hours to get into an office in each direction, I'm not getting paid for it. It's not part of my work product. So obviously it's all on my dime. My work-life balance is getting shat upon. So why not work from home? If I can, why not allow it? Well, Pete Syme, I think their name is, uh, works over at businessinsider.com, put this article together. I've been watching people tour San Francisco on YouTube videos here and there. I've actually went looking for it, but I found one. Uh, I can't remember their name. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. And when we have another article about this, I'll bring it up, but they were touring the major tourist and shopping hub in San Francisco. And I can't remember it's the trolley street. Um, and it is a ghost town. The only people that are there actually have guards standing on the doorstep because troublemakers are going to come in and rob the place or abuse customers or whatever. And at one point the guy's walking down the street and there is a, a guy that's just bombed out of his mind. Um, they call them zombies because the drug that they take turns them into just a standing there zombie. Um, and that's in the middle of the day in downtown San Francisco the rest of the main street shops nothing it's actually for rent for lease for sale that's astonishing i mean think i think that city was doing pretty well say five or ten years ago so it's done like a complete 360. all because of the pandemic and um, work from home um and the fact that you can buy everything online and you can't afford to buy any real estate there Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you were talking about Market Street. That's their main yeah. street where transit runs. It sounds about right. Um, so the consulting giant found that in most of these cities, demand in 2030 will still be lower than it was in 2019 before the pandemic. The $800 billion figure is based on an average 26% decline in the value of the city's office space across that time period. Yeah, the, the only way that the value is going to return is if everybody is forced back into the office. They're not going to be, there's no other way to return people to that commercial district and to uh, that, to an area to spend, except for mandated required. If you're going to work here, your butts in our seat, in our building. And if they do that, there might be a competitor that says, Hey, if you work for me, I'll let you work from home. And that work-life balance is definitely worth not having, you know, I'll, I'll take a pay cut if I don't have to come in. Um, 
but it better be founded on the fact that I'm also doing less work, you know, uh, like my responsibility has to be lighter. If I'm going to take a pay cut, you can't base it entirely on the fact that I'm sitting at home. I'm still doing the work product. Guess my shiny metal ass. Um, anyway, the report says that, uh, sparked by a prevalence of commuters, high house prices, and the idea that tech workers are more inclined to adopt remote work technology, which is everything that I just got to think. Um, although it says here at the very bottom of the article, actually there might be a little bit more, but one of the statements is downtown San Francisco is already uh, proving unpopular with the likes of Elon Musk, while a lawsuit says his attorney justified Twitter not paying rent on its headquarters because the city is a shithole. This is an attorney that said that. It's interesting since I'm sure they signed a contract to pay the rent. Yeah. Huh. And the attorney should probably understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that it was, I don't think anybody complained about the headquarters. Um, but Hey, you know, if nobody's showing up then, Oh, and you have to pay people. That's probably what turned it into a shittle. You're not paying people enough to show up okay last article for the day uh this last article is in uh, the mobile channel hidden details of egyptian paintings revealed by chemical imaging portable portable chemical imaging technology can reveal hidden details in ancient egyptian paintings according to a study published uh, july 12th 2023 in the open access journal plos1 um, by Philippe Martinez of Sorbonne University, France, in collaboration with colleagues at the uh, University of Liege, Belgium. Um, so this is really cool. I've actually seen um, not exactly this, but something else about this. Um, ancient Egyptian paintings are commonly thought to be the result of highly formalized workflows that produced skilled works of art. However, most studies of these paintings and the process that created them take place in museums or laboratories. Um, so the similar studies that I have seen weren't on Egyptian um, paintings in situ because they weren't done on canvas they were done on stone or plaster um i've seen variable light and chemical analysis of pictures done and they do a similar thing to this but on canvas and other materials uh, this is the first time that i've seen something on stone so um i'll just uh, let's just i'll do the i'll do that first paragraph there in this study martinez and colleagues used portable devices to perform chemical imaging on paintings in their original context allowing for analysis of paint composition and layering and for the identification of alterations made in ancient paintings i don't know how they get deeper than the initial layer um and i haven't read all of this article um but Two paintings were analyzed in detail, both located in tomb chapels in the, uh, I think it's Theban um, necropolis near the uh, River Nile, dating to the Ramside uh, period. Uh, it may be Ramsiday uh, period, but I have never heard this or seen this uh, or heard it pronounced. So sorry about that. 
On the first painting, researchers were able to identify alterations made by or made to the position of the figure's arm, though the reason for this relatively small change is uncertain. On the second painting, analysis uncovered numerous adjustments to the crown and other royal items depicted on the portrait of Ramses II, um, a series of changes that most likely relate to some change in symbolic meaning, uh, symbolic meaning uh, over time. So this is what I want to show you, really. Um, for those of you who are listening to this via the podcast, basically they did different levels of chemical analysis of the artwork. Um, that was, it was paint on uh, plaster and or stone. And so they have the outline of the current um, picture and then different chemical analyses was done of the art um, that was there. Now the visible one is right here at the far right and using different chemical analysis methods, it shows slightly different, uh, actual art pieces. So although we have historically believed that this is how it was, and this is how it always was, it actually has changed over time. pretty interesting and they didn't have canvas right they weren't painting on canvases or i should say That's nothing true. survived that the period of time between then and now as a work on canvas um at least nothing that i know of and a lot of stuff gets reused so using this methodology they may be able to they may be able to find a, a tomb that has a completely different style of art or person underneath the layer that is actually in existence today, which is what happens with paintings on canvas, uh, or wood blocks and stuff like that, that we use variable light to look past, um, even with, um, doing like forensic analysis of documents and, and art to see if it's a forgery. Um, the old art is either left in place and painted over and even though it's a modern forgery it has an antique backing so everybody goes well it has the antique canvas the original canvas so you have to do variable light to see what was underneath it and you have to do chemical analysis of the modern pigments but really significant forgeries can have uh, the modern equivalent of an ancient uh, technique or old technique um, and so it can come across as very real, very original, um, and, and not a fraud. Well, in this case, the significance of those pieces changed. And so they edited the artwork. I think it's kind of neat. Um, and this is the actual situation where they're doing the measurements. I think it's kind of neat. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, so applying all of this modern technology to the ancient Egyptian uh, paintings, the authors add that these discoveries clearly call for a systematized, systematized and closer inspection of paintings in Egypt using physiochemical characterization. I agree. Um, like I'm more interested in the chronological order of these. Like I want to know the dates and, and that these were actually put like radiocarbon dating. I want to know, um, 
when they were actually painted as opposed to the construction of the tomb. Um, at any rate, what do you think? Anybody out there um, have an opinion on something like this? Do you think it matters knowing that? Like going back in time and, and looking at a painting to see what the significance is? Like why would they change? Does it matter that they changed you know, the, the style of the adornment? I mean, it could be important for art purposes or cultural purposes, archaeological. Um, you know, do we learn something about the culture from looking at it? Do we learn something about art styles? Maybe the original that, painting was a lizard I think person. It's important. <laughs> 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 but it could just be interesting for the sake of the art, even not or not even the historical piece of it. Yeah. Z says that they think it's neat and they're not sure that it matters to someone. Uh, I think it matters to the grant holder. <laughs> the this is uh, almost entirely um, funded by a grant. I can I can almost guarantee it. Um, what I really like about this though is that it puts that technology to use in a unique way that tests that technology, and maybe they can use it for other things beyond this one use. And this is like. This is the cutting edge use of it to show that it's feasible and then they put it into action. Um, I knew somebody that um, invented something new and it, it's actually something that can't be talked about other than in general terms. Um, but it was this um, piece of technology that had to be used in to really test it, it had to be used in a very hostile situation. So they dropped it in the ocean uh, to test it um, in the real world. And apparently it came back working flawlessly. So this person um, became very rich really, really quick um, because of <laughs> grants funding spun up a business and everything off of it pretty spectacular um okay well with all that in mind i'll let you know if you have an idea about something um now's the time to do something with it don't don't let it linger um i have a lot of ideas that i've let linger and uh, every day i see um something new and fascinating come across hometown.com and it just makes me want it motivates me to uh, bring these things to market so um at the end of every show i'm ready to do something then i get pulled away by hometown and other things um okay so at the end of every show we always renew that or refresh that front page bring you back to the welcome sign is there anything interesting on the front page right off the bat that you like the idea night flying helicopters prepare for battle uh, wildfire in california interesting i want to start watching that articles. i'm sorry i was just looking at the articles Do, do, do. Um, Bruce Willis, close call, really? Wow. 
Oh, I had no idea you had a close call on the first day of Die Hard filming. Talk about getting in the way back machine. Wow. Yeah, I wonder why that's just getting reported now. Uh, I don't know. Um, this is something that we talked about already. Yes. Hmm. I don't know. Lego. I think we're going to... Huh? <laughs> Oh, Lego isn't just for kids. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we can throw that in the... If the AI likes it, then um, I know that it's going to be fun. Well, if anybody out there likes any of the articles that they see over on hometown.com, be sure to send me an email. Either uh, send it to mayor at hometown.com or you can send me a message via Twitch or even YouTube. Um uh, but it, get in touch with me any way that you have um, availed yourself of. So I'll get it. I'll uh, Even if it's a source that's from somewhere else, let me know that article and I will do what's necessary. Um, I evaluate all of the articles, submission or no. And um, if the, the source uh, adds to hometown in... Um, some way either pro or con a particular perspective i will include it in the aggregation um, as long as it has additional value um, and um, then we talk about it and we actually did that uh, i've received other submissions in the past um, but uh, today one article in particular uh, spurred me into action on two different articles on the same subject so um, quite a fascinating uh, discussion. So at least I think so. Oh, Special Ops Lioness premiere canceled in response to the SAG-AFTRA strike. Man, this is going to be an interesting day tomorrow. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. I hope All right. everybody has a lot of TV uh, saved up because <laughs> we're not going to see much of it coming. Yeah, I think I'm going to end up going uh, into the... Um, way back machine and watching i want to see all of the uh what we do in the dark the in the shadows sorry what we do in the shadows um this is supposed to be a, a fun show so um anyway that's it for today folks we are brushing up against two hours for today's art uh, show all because of my soapboxing i know but this is why you all pay the big bucks right to hang out and <laughs> listen to the podcast. Take care, Z. I already said goodnight to others that were in chat. And um, uh, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. I'll see you later. Um, that said, we are done. Done, done, done. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. Those lights are about to turn off and the AI is about to say bye-bye. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. True.